The Lewis Awakening, 1949-1953, by Duncan Campbell, printed in 1954. The Lewis Awakening, 1949-1953, Introduction. To many throughout the British Isles and overseas, the reading of this book will be as music. They are Lewis-born. To other readers, the highlands and the Isles of Scotland, or even the whereabouts of Lewis, may be unknown. A Londoner resolved to visit Lewis will leave his great city for this other world by train at 7 o'clock at night and will arrive at Moleg, M-A-L-L-A-I-G, 560 miles north by noon the next day. From there, the famous MacBrayans will take him by well-appointed passenger boats of 700 to over 1,000 1, tons. First to Kyle of Lockish, then on to Stornoway, the capital of Lewis, a sea journey of 100 miles. The weather will fairly determine the time of arrival, but a favorable crossing of the Minch should bring him there by 7 o'clock at night. Given good weather and but an average capacity for the enjoyment of beautiful scenery, the newcomer to the Highlands will be conscious of a scene of sheer emotional exhaustion from the wonder of the ever-changing panorama of beauty by land and sea throughout the last 250 miles of his journey. Lewis and Harris together form an island of 891 square miles. The road from Rodil in the extreme south to the port of Ness in the north is over 80 miles. The population is about 25,000. Of these, some 3,700 are in Stoneway, the only large town. And of the other 21,000, some are in very lonely places, but most are in more or less compact villages. And in several places, these villages are so near to each other as to constitute a large community within the compass of a few miles. These 21,000 people are almost wholly occupied in crofting and in weaving on looms in their own homes. The world-famous Lewis Tweed, which, it is estimated, amounts to something like 4 million yards a year. Many live in picturesque thatched cottages, and Gaelic is universally spoken. The people are instinctively and traditionally religious. With the old-time reverence for God, his word, and the ordinances of his church. To this island came Duncan Campbell in December 1949, and he certainly was a man sent from God. The divine initiative and element in this movement are evident to all who know the sequence of the events. Two years previously, Mr. Campbell was a Presbyterian minister in a lowland industrial community, converted through workers of the faith mission in his West Highland home country, he and three others went forth from the local prayer union to train for the Christian ministry, the others for the Church of Scotland. Mr. Campbell, for the interdenominational work of the Faith Mission. After completing the course at the Faith Mission Bible College in Edinburgh, Mr. Campbell continued for some years in evangelistic work of the mission until his health compelled him 
to take up work not entailing nightly preaching, and he gave twenty-five years to the United Free Church. Then he became possessed of a great concern to devote himself to Gaelic-speaking evangelizing in the highlands and islands, and after more than a year of prayerful consideration by both the mission and himself, he rejoined the faith mission in January 1949. But it was to Sky he felt he should go. Enduring a succession of missions in that island which manifest awakening, he wrote, How glad I am that I did not yield to my own inclinations and go to Harris. I believe my work is in this very needy island. I have invitations from all over the island. And later, I have a present invitation to go to Harris. But my very strong leaning is to continue in Sky. When in October 1949 the urgent request to the faith mission for, from the praying people of Barnvis came through the parish minister for Mr. Campbell to go to Lewis, his commitment in Sky left little hope of his being free for Lewis, and those in consultation with whom he made his arrangements felt he should keep his appointments. But Mr. Campbell felt that he was being led to Lewis, a conviction which deepened and unforeseen changes released him so that within only a few weeks he was there with what results he tells in this book. I have before me Mr. Campbell's own accounts of the work received from him from weeks to week and I can only say that his much restricted account in these pages give but a glimpse of the great manifestation of divine power witnessed throughout the island. For personal reasons the vivid detail of experience in the lives of individuals is withheld. Could they be suitably narrated, they would be thrilling to read. I am again reminded that Lewis will be t totally unknown to many thousands who will read this book. And it may be well said that a vast amount of the island beyond the coastal area consists of peak and rock and swamp and is almost wholly, wholly uninhabitable. So that distance from Stornoway and between places are long. Many well-meaning people have thought it would be good to spend some time in the atmosphere of this spiritual awakening, somewhat as they would attend a convention. But they do not understand that there is no accommodations in rural places for visitors, nor any means of returning after meetings at night to Storway. Moreover, without favorable contacts, one may visit these places and be unaware of any particular spiritual movement. But once enter the inner circle of the people's lives and the glorious visitation of the past four years become apparent and moves the heart to joy and praise. P.S. Bristol Forward by Reverend Gordon I. Thomas In acceding to the request to write a forward to this brief account of the revival in Lewis and Harris written by the Reverend Duncan Campbell I am conscious not only of the privilege that is mine, but also of the fact that nothing I write can possibly add to the wonder of the story herein so briefly recorded. The movement of the Holy Spirit in the Outer Hebrides has been news for a long time, and I am quite sure this small volume will have a very wide circulation for that reason. To meet Mr. Campbell is to be in the presence of one of God's very choice saints, a man who is great enough to be humble 
and therefore humble enough to be truly great. It was in August 1947 that we first met and that a mutual affection sprang up between us. How little did I dream then that here was a chosen instrument of God for revival in our time. Yet so it has proven to be. Mr. Campbell has been more than restrained in his personal account of this mighty movement of God and typically self-effacing. Story after story could be told of incidents that are in the realm of miraculous and which indeed are positively breathtaking to hear. Practically none of these has been mentioned in this booklet, and I think I admire and love our brother even more for this reason. I have been to Lewis. I shall never forget those ten wonderful days in company with Mr. Campbell. The community is touched in real revival, and I saw this with my own eyes. In one village, a leading businessman told me that before revival came, our young people spent much of Sunday in their beds or drinking their time away. Now those same young people are members of the church. And, added my informant, there has not been one case of backsliding. What a story. An awareness of God is one of the marks of revival, says the Reverend Duncan Campbell. I am sure he is right, for although there was no outstanding movement of the Spirit while I was there, I nevertheless had two experiences that for me were unprecedented, and that I certainly have not known since. Both of them illustrate the truth of his contention as to the awareness of God. One Sunday evening, while I was preaching, I believed that God took hold of me and of my mind and lips, as I would say he has not done on any other occasion. Thoughts flooded my mind that were totally unprepared, and I just knew myself to be borne away by the Spirit of God. I have rarely known so moving an atmosphere as when I sat down and the people sang the final psalm. There was an indeed an awareness of God that was very wonderful. Another night I was preaching at what was actually a very small meeting. There was precisely nothing to work up any special moving atmosphere. In fact, rather the reverse. For if I am frank, I must admit that I was very disappointed at the small size of the congregation. But how wrong was my assessment of divine values, and how often probably we make these quite false judgments. In the midst of my message, I can only say, in the words of my dear friend, God came down. There was a moment when I left off speaking, and together we felt the silence. Yes, how dreadful was that place. More than one present that night referred to that m moment in later days. Least any should think that the work in Lewis is due entirely to Mr. Campbell, or that it is exclusively linked with him and therefore due to some combination of personality and psychology. Let it be stated that Mr. Campbell was not present on this particular occasion. God was there. And in revival there is an awareness of God. I could go on, but I must with difficulty refrain. All my life I shall remember those wonderful days and thank God for the privilege of visiting places where revival has truly been and where a permanent mark has been left. It gave me a great hunger in my heart and there has been renewed on reading Mr. Campbell's own account in the following pages. Let us cry to God with this confidence. Mr. Campbell found in the people of Barbus, right at the beginning. I believe such a confidence is born only of prayer and of sacrifice, much prayer and deep sacrifice. 
Whilst God alone can send revival and we cannot work it up, yet it may be that we can help to prepare the way by prayer. Oh, to see a movement like this here in the mainland and in other European countries, on the many mission fields and throughout the whole earth. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Psalms 85, verse 6. O Lord, revive thy work. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. O Lord, revive me. May God use the pages of this little book to stimulate such a prayer. The Lewis Awakening, chapter 1. The Need of Awakening. The island of Lewis has been the scene of a very gracious movement of the Spirit. The breath of revival has been felt in communities have been conscious of the mighty impact of God. This island has had in days past experienced seasons of refreshing from the presence of God, but of late years the stream of vital Christianity appeared to be running low. This view was shared by the Free Church Presbytery of Lewis, who, in the following declaration, publicly expressed their deep concern. The Presbytery of Lewis, having taken into consideration the low state of vital religion within their own bounds and throughout the land generally, call upon their faithful people and all their congregations to take a serious view of the present dispensation of divine displeasure manifested, not only in the chastel conditions of international politics and domestic economics and morality, but also and especially in the lack of spiritual power from gospel ordinances, and to realize that these things plainly indicate that the Most High has a controversy with the nation. They note especially the growing carelessness towards Sabbath observations and public worship, the light regard of solemn vows and obligations so that the sacraments of the Church, especially that of baptism, tend to become in too many cases an offense to God rather than a means of grace to the recipients and the spreading abroad of the spirit of pleasure which has taken such a hold of the younger generation that all regard for anything higher appears with very few exceptions to have been utterly dismissed from their thoughts. The Presbytery affectionately plead with their people, especially with the youth of the church, to take these matters to heart and to make serious inquiry as to what must be the end should there be no repentancy. And this call upon every individual as before God to examine his or her life in the light of the responsibility which pertains to us all, that haply in the divine mercy we may be visited with the spirit of repentancy and may turn again unto the Lord whom we have so grieved with our iniquities and waywardness, especially would they warn their young people of the devil's man traps, the cinema and the public house. The foregoing is an extract from the Free Church Presbyterial Declaration as published in the Stormway Gazette and the West Coast Advertiser, December 9, 1949. The decline referred to in this declaration began to show itself in a growing disregard for the things of God. Indeed, the blighting influence of the spirit of the age with its deadening effect had wrought so effectively 
that in certain parishes, very young, few young people attended public worship. The dance, the picture show, and the drinking house were institutions which could now thrive in Lewis on the generous support given by their willing devotees. Footnote. Not a public house, but a small house, or bothy, in which men gathered regularly to consume drink, which they have purchased elsewhere. So far as we know, the only licensed premise in Lewis are those in Stonaway. End of footnote. True, Lewis has its traditions. The time-honored practice of family worship is still observed in most homes. The great doctrines of the Christian faith, such as the total depravity of man, justification by faith on the grounds of Christ's atonement, regeneration by the Spirit, and the sovereignty of God in the affairs of man, are central in the theology of Lewis. But then, it is possible to have a name to live and yet be dead, and has not experience demonstrated again and again that man can be orthodox in sentiment, yet lose, loose in practice. Correct views of scripture do not constitute righteousness. What effect the foregoing declaration had on the Christian church in Lewis is beyond the knowledge of the writer, but certain it is that most would regard its publication as timely, and its contents a true representation of the situation. Lewis, however, was not devoid of a virile Christian witness. In all denominations, men could be found who were true watchmen on the walls of Zion, and who longed for the day when the desert would again rejoice and blossom as the rose. In most pulpits throughout the island, the, the evangel was proclaimed with passionate personal conviction, and not infrequently, in certain congregations at least. Signs followed the preaching of the word. The weekly prayer meeting was still a vital part of its religious life, although in too many cases attended only by a faithful few. But the Most High did not despise the day of small things, and Lewis was soon to see the mighty power of God let loose in a gracious outpouring of his spirit, and it came, as dew upon the tender herb diffusing fragrant round, as showers that usher in the spring and cheer the thirsty ground. End of chapter 1, having been read by Peter John Parisis, also known as Brian Dean. All my audios are not copyrighted. Please feel free to make as many copies as you desire to the glory of God.